you want to open your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, on page 980 of the church Bible. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that ministers to us and teaches us who you are and who you want us to be. We thank you that you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light and that you have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May we be filled with the knowledge of your will as Pastor Matt preaches your word and may we walk in a manner worthy of you and bear fruit in every good work. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Andrea. I want to say thank you again to the worship team for uh, bringing us the worship this morning. Um, I am also really thankful. I've been out for a couple of weeks. Some of you guys, your new faces, and you might not, you might have been here the last couple of weeks and you've never seen me. Well, I'm Matt. I'm the pastor here, and uh, I'm excited to see some of some new faces. I'm excited to see some faces I've known for a while. Um, it's been. I've, I'm excited to be back. Sometimes you go on vacation and you can't wait to get back, and that's how you know you've been gone long enough. And yes, that was the case this time. Um, probably, uh, I probably, we, Jillian and I agreed that the vacation this time was probably four days too long. We were like itching to get back probably at about that time. So every time we leave, we say that, and, uh, we always end up staying a little longer than we need to, but we're excited to be back. We're excited. Uh, Jillian and them will be coming back there. They have a, a doctor's appointment in Anchorage, so they'll be there for a couple of days and then, uh, they'll be back this week. Um, we're starting a new series. Um, we, uh, we finished the book of Jonah over the summer, and before that, we'd finished the book of Ephesians, and uh, we'd worked through both those books, and um, then we did a kind of, a, kind of an unintentional uh, series on assurance, um, and while I was gone, Eli and, uh, and Aaron preached through uh, the end of Second uh, Peter chapter 1. What we're going to be doing uh, over the next, really, 11 weeks leading up to Advent is we're going to be teaching through a series I'm calling One Another. You can see that on your bulletin cover. Um, and it's not going to be traditionally like what we do. It's still going to be expository teaching. We're going to teach through passages, but we're going to parachute into different passages. And um, let me just explain to you why, why we're doing this. You see, um, why would I do a series on the one another's? That's kind of something that I, 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 I was praying about in the spring. Like, where would you have us to go after Jonah, Lord? And, uh, and the Lord, like, really rested in my heart um, this. I had kind of been exposed to somebody talking about this uh, while I was away at a conference. And um, while I was there, I had I, heard this. And um, I heard somebody just talking about their small group going through the one another's and how meaningful it was and how special it was. And I, and I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, um, there's like 80 one another's in Scripture. We can't, we're not going to do an 80-part series, but maybe we take uh, uh, 10 of them, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to take 10 of these, and we're going to work through these different one others that will be, and I think they'll be helpful for us. So, but why, why do this series? Well, as we'll see when we go through this series, we'll see that God has designed us as followers of Jesus us, and us as humans uh, for community, for genuine deep fellowship. We flourish 
in our faith when we commit to community, and we will wither when we drift into isolation. Some of you guys, you know this. Some of you guys, you think that that's just not true of you. You might think of yourself like men or women. You might say, well, I'm an introvert. I don't really need people. Or maybe you think of yourself like the, uh, the, you know, the Clint Eastwood, John Wayne, Marlboro Man style person who's like, I got it all by myself. I don't need anybody else. But the truth is, is that all of us, all of us who are followers of Jesus recognize, if we recognize the Bible to be true, then we know that for us to flourish in our faith, for us to truly be all that God wants us to be, that we are meant to exist in community. We are meant to exist uh, and to worship in, in community. So with this, like, so, so for the first reason why, why I think we should do this is because I think this is something that's biblical. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that. I know that. We'll see it as we go through in Scripture. All over Scripture, the Bible is commanding and encouraging and helping us to understand how we can live in biblical community. Number two, why, why do this series? Well, I'm going to bet that unless you have, ha- you have deep, deep church trauma in your past, that you have a heart that is longing for deep, meaningful, mutually beneficial community. But you probably struggle to know how to get into that sort of community. You say, that's what I want, but I don't know how to get it. That's what, one, one of the reasons, how do we get into this? How do we cult, cultivate this kind of community in our church is why I do this series. Another one is, um, a, a third reason to do this series. I kind of worked out four reasons for doing this series, and I wanted to let you know. Um, our culture's capacity for, for uh, community in general has atrophied over the last 50 years. Many of you guys who are over the age of 60 remember a time when most people were involved in some sort of communal events. It's like uh, a man might be in the Elks or, or the American Legion. They, uh, a woman, they, 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 there were all sorts of community organizations. People were regularly in leagues of different types of things and connecting in these ways. And there was lots and lots of communal activity, in place, especially in places like Kodiak, but all over. But over the past 50 years, our, 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 there has been this slow drift towards atomization or indi- uh, hyper-individualism. Where, 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 basically, uh, where basically we become a bunch of independent people living in, in proximity to one another, but very, very, having very little to do with one another. I would say this is that, that, that slow progression towards atomization has been accelerated over the last five years. I can't tell you how many young people I know who graduated from high school in the last two or three years who, uh, who struggle to, uh, have to, to really to engage in community in any kind of meaningful way. I have family members who struggle to leave their room. 50% of adults in America, this isn't children, this is adults, say, that this was, this was a, uh, uh, a nationwide survey done by NPR, 50% of adults say they feel isolated, alone, and lonely. But, uh, uh, scientists, you know, scientists would tell us this not only has, we know that this not only has spiritual consequences, but it also has physical consequences. In fact, uh, uh, the NPR article I read on this, which what, you can trust the source or not, it doesn't really matter, they said that it's equivalent of uh, uh, being alone, feeling persistent feelings of loneliness or uh, aloneness is, uh, is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Most, but, but the truth is, is most of us don't know how to live in community. We live atomized lives, rarely, like I said, rarely sharing the deep currents of our hearts with anybody except maybe our spouse. So how do we do this? How do we do this? And, I, and that's, what, that's what this series is meant to do. 
is to help us learn how to do this. I think a lot of us are like uh, 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 something I experienced when I was in Israel. Um, we don't have a culture of community in our culture anymore. There's not a culture that is, uh, uh, that is pushing us, that is teaching us, that is showing us how to live in community. So most of us don't know how to do it. Now, the way I know how to explain it is like I, when I was in Israel, uh, I would do youth camps. And I remember um, I, I pulled out an American football. And uh, you, you wouldn't believe how many kids over there are enamored with American football. They just think it's cool. They don't really know the rules. They don't really know what's going on, but they like the idea of American football. Does that make sense? Kind of like the way a lot of Americans like the idea of, you know, of, of Australian League football, but we don't really know the rules. We don't know what's going on. We just know they run around with a football and hit each other, right? Same idea. So, so I'm over there, and I have this football, and I, I pull out this American football, and I'm like, hey, let's throw the football. And I start to throw the football with some, some teenagers over there, big, strong, early teenagers who look like they would love football. And I, I throw the football over to them, and they catch the football just fine. And then when they go to throw me the football, this is what it looks like. And I'm like, no, no, just throw the football. Just throw the football. And they, 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 they kind of throw it more like a shot put than they would throw like a football. And what I realized is that there is no sport that they regularly play where they have to throw. So throwing, like the way baseballs and footballs and cricket balls and all these are thrown, they don't have that culture. So for them, throwing the football was very complicated and hard. It's, it's actually, by the way, not so different than the way most of you who didn't grow up playing soccer, when you get on a soccer field and you try to kick the ball around, you're like, oh, I can kick a ball just fine until you see somebody who's been doing it their whole life, and you're like, I can't do that. How do they do that? It's the same idea. Now, I, the reason why I bring this up is I think a lot of us, we live in a culture that, that uh, we, we know the Bible is commanding us and encouraging us and telling us this is good for us, to be in community, but we're like those kids who don't know how to throw the ball. They know what they should be doing, but they don't really, they don't have the muscles worked out. They don't have the muscle memory. They haven't figured this out because it doesn't come naturally to us, especially in our culture. And I would, I would say a fourth reason, our church in particular is transforming before our eyes. God has seen fit to bring lots of new people from various backgrounds together at Berean, and if we do not intentionally cultivate community, we could easily become a group of loosely affiliated people who worship at the same place and smile at nod and nod at each other when we see each other in town. But the body of Christ is meant to be much more than a loose association. It's meant to be a family. Uh, where, where you and I are meant to be family to one another, a faith family that is deeply involved in one another's lives, united together like a body is united together, like a hand is united to a face. We are united together. We're the same body. So what does it look like in the real world to have community like this? Well, we're going to explore this more as we go through, but I want to give you just a, a little picture of this. It looks like believers who have committed themselves to a faith family. You've said, I, I am committing to this faith family. We move from being a spectator in the stands to joining the team. It means courageously opening your life up to others and being willing to engage in other people's lives deeply. It means be believers genuinely loving one another, our works and all, because guess what? All of us are unlovable at times, especially the more we open ourselves up. And, uh, and the deal is, is that when we're in the body of Christ, we love all of everyone and so that nobody has to try to hide themselves. It's believers welcoming one another, not only opening their homes up, but opening their hearts up to people in their homes. It's believers bearing one another's burdens, helping, uh, strugglers, helping people who are struggling, and letting others help you when you're in the middle of struggle. 
It's encouraging one another, not flattery, but sincerely, honestly, and affectionately speaking words of truth into other people's lives that build them up. It's teaching one another. It's speaking scripture's wisdom into each other's lives, especially, especially in specific contexts when we need to hear God's wisdom in this situation. It's believers honestly and openly confessing their sin to one another, being transparent, and having real, authentic community. It looks like a community that is so shot through with grace that when conflict inevitably, inevitably emerges because we are all sinners and we sin against each other at times, that we as believers race to show grace to, uh, to one another, forgiving one another and restoring one another by the power of the Spirit. It looks like a community that is on its knees, praying for one another with tears, interceding for your good. It looks like a community that comforts and cares for one another when you're facing affliction, loss, or hurt. It looks like a community that stirs you up to good works and helps you uh, when your heart wants to grow faint. This is how Jesus intended the church to be. He intended the church not to be a group of loosely affiliated people who all look uh, or point in one direction and listen to one guy talk this way and then go about your daily lives and smile and nod at each other when you see each other at the farmer's market or at Safeway. No. We're meant to be deeply engaged in one another's lives. So how does this happen? Well, we're going to be unpacking this, like I said, over the next week, 11 weeks, but I want to set the table for this today in uh, Philippians chapter 1. So all that by way of introduction to get to our text, Philippians chapter 1, and it says, it says this, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I want to take this statement and break it down for you right off the bat, because um, I think that you could easily miss what's going on here. First of all, Paul says the word only. When, he says, when he's saying only, he's saying this is the most important thing. This is the only thing. If you don't do anything else, do this thing. Only do this. Now, everything else could, can come secondary to this. Only do this. This is a central command. And then he says, let your manner of life. Some of your Bible translations might say conduct. Now, the word here is not the word that we would normally see for conduct or even manner of life. There's other, there's other texts that use a similar word here, but that's not the word in this one. This is a very distinct word. In fact, it's the only used here, um, there, uh, here and it's the word palatiu <laughs> omahi, which um, the, uh, for those of you Greek, you, uh, Greek people, you probably uh, picked up at the beginning that word polit, which is where we get the word for politics or policy or pol- it's, the word, it's the word for citizenship. Paul is saying, uh, uh, be a, uh, act with, pro- uh, with proper reverence to your citizenship. Your, your, uh, behave as a citizen um, properly. Now, why would he use the word citizenship here rather than anywhere else? Well, we know later in the book, he says, uh, uh, in Philippians 3.20, he says, you are, you are citizens of heaven. So Paul is basically saying, let your manner of life, uh, uh, let, your ci- let, let, let the way you live reflect that you are a citizen of heaven. Live like you're a citizen of heaven. He says, let your manner of life um, be, uh, let, let's read it. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word worthy, uh, that's actually a hard word for us to translate into English. It's the word axios. Um, and it, 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 worthy is a good translation. It's not a bad translation, but it doesn't fully encapsulate because 
Um, many of you guys would look at this and you would say, I can't live a life worthy of the gospel. The whole idea is that I couldn't live that life and Christ had to die in my half. So how can I live a life worthy of the gospel? What is this supposed to mean? Are, are, we, are we just aiming at something we can never hit? And um, that's actually not what this text is about. Uh, that word axios it means having a worth that matches its value. So, so think of it this way. This text would say something like this. If you do nothing else, live like a citizen of heaven who values or puts ultimate worth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you do nothing else, so Paul is, Paul is saying, if you do nothing else, live like a citizen of heaven. What, is that, what does a citizen of heaven look like? They live their lives for the glory of God in every way. Citizen, what will we do when we are with Jesus forever? We will live our lives for his glory. We will glorify him with every bit of what we have. Everything we'll be doing will be to the glory of God. So uh, uh, only do this. If you do nothing else, live like a citizen of heaven who values and puts ultimate worth in the gospel of Christ. The God, what is the gospel of Christ? This is the gospel that says we, you and I were both sinners, are, are, are all sinners who, who, de- who deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus lived the life that we could not live. He lived a perfect, holy life. And he died the death that we should have died. We should have received the eternal wrath of God so that we might be reconciled to God and live with him forever. When we understand that, that truth, when that truth is central to our lives, we put ultimate worth in that. That is the thing that we live for above all else. And then he says, whether I come to you or not. So Paul, if you, uh, those of you who are Bible nerds, you'll know that Paul is in, uh, is in prison. This is one of the, the, the jailbird letters that he writes out. He writes this letter from prison to, um, uh, to the Philippian church. If you remember from the book of Acts, when we talked through the book of Acts a couple of years ago, the Philippian church was started. Um, uh, the, the first three members of the Philippian church were Lydia, all right? We had, we had Lydia. We had, um, uh, we had, we had the, the, the slave girl who had, uh, who, who had, the, who had been demon-possessed and, and, and was delivered from that. And then we had the Philippian jailer and his family. These are the first three members. If you remember the, the Philippian um, story here, and God, God had done amazing works there. He had grown this church up in, in a mighty way. And this is a church, honestly, that, uh, that it seems that Paul had deep affection for. Here's one of, one of the ways we know is because of the way he writes it. The way he writes this letter, there's just deep affection for this Philippian church. More than this, um, we know that he has deep affection for them because uh, Paul, weirdly, doesn't accept money from just anyone. In fact, Paul makes it clear to like the Corinthian church, I didn't take your money so that, um, because I didn't want you to in any way think that I was doing this for money. I could have asked for money, but I didn't. But Paul is willing to receive a gift from the Philippian church, which means that he uh, believes that their faith is strong enough. He, be- he, he has enough confidence in his, their understanding and their relationship with him that they can actually send him a gift and he would feel that it wouldn't cause issues in their faith walk. We'll see, that's all in chapter two if you, wanna, if you can turn over there after the service. So Paul planted this church. He loved this church, and this church loved him deeply, so much so that when they heard he was in prison, they, like I said, they sent money to him, they sent a guy to him, they helped him out, they helped him out in every way they can. But Paul wants them to understand that whether he is there or not, that this church is not dependent upon him being there. That this church isn't dependent on any single person except for Christ. So whether he's there or not, only, let your life, uh, only live your life in a way that values Christ above all else. Live as a citizen of heaven who values Christ above all else, whether I'm there or not. And then he says, so that I might hear whether I come or whether I don't, that I might hear that you. Now, that word you there is uh, the word y'all. I'm from the South. We say y'all. Some of you guys might say you guys. 
and some of you guys might say Yuns, all right? I think some of you north, northern people might say that. Um, if, you're, if you're from a uh, uh, Spanish-speaking place, it would be the vosotros tense, which is the plural second person, all right? He says, so that I might hear that you or y'all are standing firm in one spirit, all right? So Paul is saying, uh, uh, so you, here, you, you, I want you to live a life that is worthy, uh, that, that values Christ above all else. And what does that look like? What, is that, what does this look like? This looks like standing firm in one spirit. I want you to go back one page in your Bible in Ephesians 5.13. Unless you have a study Bible, it's just one page backwards. In Ephesians 5.13, you'll see what? This is the, the, we, we were here not long ago, um, and, it, and it, says, it says this, uh, Ephesians 5.13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Same words, same person. He's, Paul is saying, stand firm. What is, this, what is this a picture of? This is a picture of withstanding the barrage and attack of, uh, of the enemy. This is a picture of defense. Paul is saying that, uh, that, that for, for, uh, as a follower of Jesus one of the things that you do is when the enemy is throwing darts at you, when these things are coming, you stand firm. But you don't stand firm alone. He says, stand firm together in one spirit. The way I like to think of it is like this. A lot of us, we think we have to stand firm alone, but no, we're meant to stand firm together. Um, the Philippians would have had, I, I think, Paul is intentionally alluding to the way that the Philippians would think of war. You know, if you're, Philippi was uh, a Roman city. In fact, there were so few Jews there that they didn't even have a synagogue. They met down by the river. So there's, it's mostly a Roman city. These are almost all Roman citizens who lived there. It was a very, very Roman place. And most of these people are, would have been retired military people. So if you know about the Roman legions, you know how they, uh, some of you guys would know how they fought. They didn't, they didn't send their people rushing into battle with their swords up. No, they walked really slowly together with, their shield, with a shield wall up and they had their sword up and they walked in a, a, a phalanx. You guys know what I'm talking about? And they marched together and then and they fought together and my shield protected the guy beside me and their shield protected me and we, they went to battle together and they operated as one single unit. Paul is saying, when temptation comes, we stand together. When affliction comes, we stand together. When the flaming darts of the enemy, the doubt, the depression, the anxiety, when they strike us, we stand together in one spirit. So how do we do this? Like I said, it's in one spirit. I want you to get this, that the Holy Spirit is the one who unites us, who melds us into one body. We cannot and will not stand firm together without the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. To be a community that stands firm together against the, in all the attacks of the enemy, against all the barrages that come our way, we must be a community that is yielded to the Holy Spirit. But you want to, here's what's so cool. That this has been my experience, and I believe that the Bible would back this up. That when we stand firm together, weathering the storms of life, uh, 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 defending one another against the flaming darts of the enemy, helping one another, loving one another, affecti- uh, showing affection and trust for one another, All these things grow in us. We become more and more united the more and more the enemy attacks and we stand firm. I like to think of it like this. Now, I I used to climb a lot and the the strongest knot, okay, some some of you fishermen, you might fight me on this. Um, You might, uh, uh, the strongest knot for rope for climbing is the double figure eight. All right, that's what this is. Now, here's why it's so strong is the more tension you put on it, the stronger, the tighter the knot becomes, 
All right, and, and it's what, like, for some people would say the double bowline is, they're wrong. This is the strongest knot. Um, there's a, there's, a, there's a, a fight in the knot community about this. Um, but but the, the idea here is that this is, the, this is the strongest knot, and the harder you pull on it, the more you press on it, the tighter the knot becomes. It, 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 it has less likelihood of coming loose the more, it's, uh, the more pressure that is put on it. In the same way, when, when a community is standing firm together, when they're weathering the darks of the enemy, when they're weathering the afflictions of life, when they're going through the, this world, be, going through all the things that tend to want to bruise us, when we are standing firm together in one spirit, loving one another, building one another up, helping one another, um, be- bearing one another's burdens, uh, comforting one another in affliction, all this kind of stuff, when that is going on, we are able to stand and we will actually be tighter and tighter into community. Some of you guys have experienced this. You go through a harrowing trial, and those people who, who, who came to you and were tight with you in that time, all of a sudden, you might have, you might have had friendships that were like, kind of like this, but oh, when you go through that trial, oftentimes you come, you, you come to a place of deep, deep connection. And as our unity grows, one of the other things that will happen, our confidence in the Lord will grow. As we weather storms, as we weather darts of the enemy, as we see victory over temptation, as we begin to walk faithfully more and more, as we begin to flourish in our faith, our confidence in the Lord will grow, and we won't be frightened about anything when it comes to being attacked. More than this, Paul doesn't just want us to have, uh, to live, uh, 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 Paul, for Paul to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, isn't just to have a strong defense. It's not just to defensively stand firm, but it's also to go on the offense, to offensively, uh, with one mind, go out striving together for faith in the gospel. So let's, let's, um, let's break these words down because I feel like uh, there's a little bit underneath here that I want you to get. The word one mind is the word psyche. We, we know this word. We use this word today. It doesn't mean exactly the way we use it today. Um, one mind is a good translation, um, but that, that word mind there, it's fact, actually the only time in all of Scripture that that word is trans- translated as mind. Almost always it's translated as soul. And I think, I think the idea of mind and soul kind of being merged together in this is a good way of thinking. When we go out, we go out with one mind, with a single-minded. We're, we're of one soul. We are going out offensively um, for the kingdom, striving together side by side. What does that word striving mean? Well, it's actually, it actually has the word athleto in it. It's like for athletes, it's an athletic word, and it means to compete alongside. The way I like to think of it is like a... a a rugby scrum. It's like the, the word, it's actually a word for like wrestling in the, in, in the, in the Greek, Greco-Roman period, the word that's used here. But I like to think of it when you're wrestling together, not against each other, but together with each other. I, I like to think today the best example might be a rugby scrum where these guys, they lock arms together, they lock shoulders together, and they press against one another, and they're pushing this. Everybody's pushing in the same direction. Now, I don't really know what the purpose of the scrum is, but I know that that's what they're doing. I think. Um, but, but that idea here is, is, is we, we get together and we press forward together. All pushing in the same direction. What's that same direction for us as followers of Jesus? For the faith of the gospel. Offense is about showing and sharing the gospel of grace to a hostile world. It's about proclaiming and portraying the gospel of grace to a wor- in word and deed. It's about shining the light of the gospel in a dark and twisted world with our actions, attitude, and words. And Paul is telling us that we are meant not to do this alone, but with others. We are meant to go on offense for the gospel together. 
We strive together. We get in the scrum together. So what does this look like? Well, but actually, let's back up. It isn't just Paul that says this. We see Jesus. When Jesus sends the disciples out, how does he send them out? Two by two. He sends no one out alone. He sends them out two by two so that they might go proclaim the gospel. We almost never see the apostle Paul ministering alone. Sharing the gospel is meant to be a team sport. Even when it's only you sharing the gospel, you, we're, we're meant to include our community, asking for them to pray, uh, uh, seeking their wisdom um, and support in the process of, of sharing the gospel with people in your life. In fact, this, this, past, this, down, this trip down, I, I, had, I had a desire to share the gospel with a few different people in my life, and I know that there were people who were praying for me in my small group to help as I went through that because I wanted to make sure that this was going on. And, it, and it was, it's so bolstering to know that there are people praying, uh, interceding on your behalf for God to work as you were going out to proclaim the gospel of grace. But it's not just individuals where we're supporting the guy who's up to bat, like in baseball. No, oftentimes it's actually banding together and working together. It means uh, 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 with, with others in your community, banding together to show and share the gospel of grace in our community for the glory of God. In fact, I can think of um, not long ago, I don't know if this will embarrass her, she's not in here, okay, that works. Um, <laughs> not long ago, um, uh, Christy came to me and she said, hey, uh, I've, I, 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 there are some needs at, uh, at Maine Elementary that have been coming up and I wonder if this is a way that we can show grace to the teachers and to the students at Maine so that we might have more opportunities to share the gospel with them. And so she said, can I put a, can I put a box out and can our church help out with uh, getting snacks and, do, and also, also, also things for, uh, for, uh, uh, for other things? And she, 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 that's in the bulletin. You can see it. But I think of that. That's somebody saying, hey, let's band together to show and share the gospel of grace in our community. When we stand firm together by the power of the Spirit, what, here, here's what's cool. Any, uh, 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 any fear that we have oftentimes gets quelled. This is, what, this is what the Bible is making clear right here. It says, um, not frightened by your opponents. Paul, Paul says here that we, as we stand firm, as we strive together for, side by side for the gospel, we won't be frightened by our opponents. Why? Well, our fear of death gets quelled. We, we know that we can endure. We have brothers and sisters um, walking with us. We think of, I think of the Apostle Paul, who, uh, who, who was, right now, he was facing death. And what, is he, what does he say in ver, uh, chapter, verse 21 of this? He says, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. That nothing, no, no weapon formed against me will prosper because I am in Christ Jesus. And, you know, by your prayers, he says, by your prayers, I am, I've been strengthened to actually believe this, to actually live this out. So what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of death? Like, that, that's not a real, that's not genuinely a fear that most people have here when it comes to um, sharing the gospel. We're not usually afraid of being persecuted and killed for our faith. Maybe you're a fear of imprisonment. That's usually not a thing here, but that, um, Paul makes it, it clear that we can be sure that, uh, that, we can, that God can and will turn our imprisonment for his glory. We see that in chapter 1, verse 12. Paul's in prison. Maybe it's privation. We're worried about pain, uh, whether it be emotional privation or physical privation or, or hurt or things like this. Maybe we're worried about this. But we see in chapter 4, verse 13, we see the Apostle Paul talking about how we can even endure these sorts of things. Whether we're brought high or low, we can endure all things through Christ who gives us strength. When we have a, when we have a strong defense, we won't be frightened by anything. 
And that strong defense comes by being together in one spirit, together, banded together, um, uh, facing everything together by the power of the spirit. And offense, I think it's easy when it, when it comes to um, going out and sharing the faith. It's very easy to, for, for, to get really scared when it comes to the idea of going out and sharing the gospel. Many of us, we're, we're afraid, we, we don't, we don't, we're afraid of what might happen, the consequences that might come upon us for, for pro openly proclaiming the gospel. But when we do this in community, when we do this together with the cover of others, with, with prayer, people praying with us, oftentimes that uh, allows that spirit of timidity to go and we, we're actually, uh, we actually begin to operate like, like Timothy with a, with a spirit of, uh, of, of power and of sound mind where we go out boldly and proclaim the gospel. That's the opposite of fear is boldness. But so, so when we're in community together, just as iron sharpens iron, so do we sharpen one another to bear witness to Jesus and, and with our actions, our attitude, and words, wherever we are. And we will be more fruitful and less fearful as we go out together. So circling around, if you want to live this life, uh, a life that actu accurately portrays this sort of living, how does, how does that start? Well, I think it... it um, if we want to live a life that's worthy of the cross, uh, uh, this, it starts by us courageously standing firm together by the power of the Spirit against the enemy's schemes. And like I said, it also um, fearlessly striving to advance the kingdom of the gospel together with other believers with one mind. This requires a deep commitment to community. Sunday mornings alone cannot facilitate the deep life-on-life -life community that Scripture expects the church to be. It requires time, transparency, and trust. And one hour or two hours on a Sunday, depending on how long I preach, <laughs> is not enough. The best and easiest way to get started, to get connected in this way, to get connected to a community that will help you to stand firm and strive forward well, is to get involved in, a, in one of our home groups, our small groups that happen. There's one starting next Sunday, there's one that's happening tomorrow, and there'll be one kicking off in a couple of weeks. Uh, home groups don't automatically mean that you're going to be involved in this deep community, but as you commit yourself to this, and as, especially as we work through this series, if you're in a home group, and as you guys discuss this out and talk through this more, it's going to be super helpful for you guys as you begin to engage with one another. Maybe, maybe you can't get involved in a, in a home group, or maybe that's just not your, uh, it's not where you are. There's other types of things that can do this, uh, things like a D group, where you get involved with two or three other people. And you begin to share your life with them. You begin to confess your sins to them. You begin to build one another up in faith. I think our enemy seeks to peel us away from the herd, to get us one-on-one -on -one versus him. I think of, uh, you know, all of those videos that I've seen of African, you know, with, with, the, with the lions or the cheetahs, and they're trying to get the gazelles. And what do they do? They, they, they run and they run until they can peel one away from the herd. And once it's away from the herd, it's on then. That's what our enemy is seeking to do, It's to peel us away, to make us, to, to have us fight him alone. But when we fight in that phalanx together, when we, we will stand firm against his attacks and we will be able to make advances for the kingdom of God. This is how God designed the church to operate. <coughs> so here's the question. Are you stuck in a pattern of sin? Are you stuck in a cycle of hurt? Are you constantly feeling lonely? Are you, are, you, are you in this place where, where, you're, where you feel like, I just, I really want this, but I'm not sure where to go. I would say the first and easiest step is to, 
to, uh, to figure out which home group you want to go to and to step in. It's not going to be a panacea, a perfect solution. There's going to be broken people in those groups who uh, could, will likely be frustrating to you at times. But they will be, when you commit to one another, when you commit to love and one another, even warts and all, whether they're the same age as you or not, whether the same stages in life as you or not, whether they have a lot in common with you or nothing in common with you. The best small group I was ever in, the, the closest person to my age was 10 years my senior. And then the next closest person was 10 more years my senior. The best small group I've ever been in. I thought before that that I had to be in a small group with guys my own age and girls my own age, you know? Spirit-filled community can and will genuinely help you if you find yourself stuck. Or if you find yourself that where, where, where you should be flourishing, but you're struggling to, to, to turn the corner. So as we go through this, I want to I challenge you to pray about committing to a faith family. What does that mean? Well, if Berean is your church home, I would challenge you to commit to being a part of Berean, to actually commit yourself to here by joining the church. There's no specialness to, uh, there, there's nothing in it for me for you to join the church. It's for your benefit. As you join the church, you are committing in your heart to say, I am investing in this community and I'm letting this community invest in me. More than this, I would encourage you to find a, 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 a small group community to be a part of in, in our church. There are some, there are some uh, small groups that aren't really small groups. There's some ladies who meet on a Wednesday morning for coffee. There's some uh, different things that happen in the week that are, that are really operating in this community fashion where they're comforting, encouraging, building one another up, instructing one another, uh, doing all these things, but they don't really, uh, they don't call themselves a home group or whatever. It doesn't have to fit into the box that I'm putting in here, but I can tell you we are meant to operate in community. And the less we do that, the more we will find ourselves stuck in, uh, stuck in our faith, unable to progress forward, unable to flourish. So Christianity is a team sport. Get on the team. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for, for how you designed your church to operate. Lord, how you designed us to be there for one another. To, Lord, for how you designed us to be blessed by serving one another, comforting one another, encouraging one another. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, that you have brought a church together from diver a diverse group of people. People from all different sorts of walks and backgrounds, all different types of hurts. And Lord, that you have, uh, Lord, that you have sewn us together as one body, that you have melded us, forged us into one faith family. Lord, I pray that, God, you would help us to be a family that, that genuinely cares about one another, that's genuinely involved in one another's lives. Lord, I pray that, God, you would help us as we go through this series of one another's. Lord, to genuinely um, live these out in, the way, in our lives. Lord, I love you and I praise you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.